Thank you, Steve, for reading the text for us. Good morning, church. It is indeed uh, a great joy for us to hear uh, this morning from uh, the various thoughts that reminded us of Christ's sacrifice. And in fact, that is the passage that's before us that has been read for us. So it's quite appropriate that we, will, that we continue to uh, ponder on this text. As I share, as I'm going to read a story, this might uh, sound like or make me old, but some of us won't mind it. By the 1980s, the American... The business... And the business was struggling. Uh, Duggan, they acquired similar companies in the UK and Japan. Uh, The number of uh, brick-and-mortar stores had quadrupled and it had surpassed uh, 1,000 in number. But then in the 1990s, uh, the competition would increase and the likes of Netflix would start. In the early 2000s, Netflix itself was kind of struggling and approached Blockbuster uh, to see if they would acquire them. Uh, But Blockbuster turned them down. By 2010, Blockbuster filed for bankruptcy. And today, uh, there is one store left in Bent, Oregon, just one store. But Netflix has become a household name. Some of us can't live without. Uh, a missed opportunity. Indeed, some missed opportunities would never come back. And that is what we will see, at least one of the things that we will see here in the passage that was uh, read for us uh, this morning. Uh, what we have uh, seen is uh, that uh, the crucifixion of Jesus is a remarkable event. Uh, it's a historical event. It's a remarkable event. Uh, there were a lot of people who were witnesses uh, that day of what uh, had happened. So the text uh, tells us the historical location where uh, Jesus uh, was crucified. Right, it was uh, called uh, the place called uh, Skull, uh, and the Latin is Calvaria, from which uh, we get the name Calvary. Now we know where we get the name for our church from. Right, uh, it was called Skull, uh, not the church, but uh, the place, uh, because of the shape of the rock or the hill uh, that it looked like uh, from a distance. That it looked like a skull. Um, uh, that is uh, historical information for us. Uh, then uh, we see uh, that with regard to the crucifixion of Jesus, that Jesus was crucified between uh, two criminals. And when we uh, look at crucifixion itself, I'll just get the historical thing out of the way so we can focus on the text. Uh, it wasn't uh, something that was usually uh, meted out for the Roman citizens. This was meant definitely for uh, serious crimes like treason, are of uh, capital nature, uh, but not for Roman citizens. And the Roman historian uh, Cicero uh, called it a cruel and uh, 
disgusting penalty. Josephus called it the worst of uh, all deaths. And when we a little later uh, see uh, on the cross itself, there was the inscription, the charge for which Jesus was crucified also was publicized. So that was something that they would do. And what was the charge? The king of the Jews. That was the charge. Here is a rival king setting up a rival kingdom. They could not really uh, muster enough evidence to convict Jesus before Pontius Pilate, before the Roman government, because Roman government uh, had no issues if you have other religious issues. That's an internal religious matter. And Judea had religious, uh, I mean, re uh, reasonable autonomy as far as uh, the jurisdiction was concerned. But the moment they hear about political upheaval, uh, that is something they would not tolerate. They would want to put that out. So the charge against Jesus was not uh, anything uh, less uh, than uh, political revolution. That is why the charge that is laid uh, on the cross saying that here uh, is uh, the charge. He claimed to be the king of the Jews. Of course, this wasn't necessarily the conclusion of the Roman government, but this was uh, the charge of the religious leaders themselves. And so uh, that is uh, what we see. And then we see that as Jesus was uh, crucified, uh, the uh, soldiers there thought, you know what, uh, let's cast lots and decide who can get uh, the robe that Jesus uh, was wearing, the garment, perhaps the outer garment. And uh, John tells us that uh, he had uh, uh, the linen cloth around him. So perhaps the inner garment was not that was uh, taken away. Although in some cases in crucifixion, uh, the culprits were crucified completely naked. Again, Luke uh, spares us so many details. And when we look at this story, and when we compare the story of the crucifixion uh, with the rest of the synoptics or with John's gospel, uh, what we see is that Luke gives us uh, the most concise account of the crucifixion. And the story that we have read uh, does miss some of uh, the embellishments or some of those uh, storylines that other gospel writers would uh, fill in. So I will just stick with Luke's text as far as uh, possible, and we will not get into other aspects of the text. So what we see uh, on the cross is uh, the rival king, at least that is the charge that has uh, been laid against Jesus. Here is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Of course, the people who brought such charges against Jesus did not necessarily understand that this was indeed uh, uh, true that Jesus was indeed uh, the uh, King of Kings and uh, the Lord of Lords. And then we see uh, here at the cross uh, a group of people uh, mocking Jesus, a group of people who uh, were witnessing all of these events. They will have a kind of response to Jesus uh, that uh, would not necessarily uh, mean a uh, good thing for them, that this would amount to be missed opportunities for these people. But then we will also see kind of responses from a different group of people uh, that would mean uh, salvation for them. And so uh, we see that a large crowd was present here. As we read at the beginning of the passage itself, we see that there was a large crowd. 
when Jesus uh, was crucified. And in verse uh, 34, we read that Jesus, despite being crucified, offers this prayer of forgiveness uh, on their behalf. Perhaps this prayer is not only uh, for the soldiers, but mainly, perhaps, for the Jewish nation, that Jesus is offering this prayer, although some manuscripts uh, do not have this as uh, part of uh, uh, their uh, scrolls, but some manuscripts do have. Uh, that, that is why some of your translations may not have that in your translation, but maybe in the footnote. Uh, if it is there, good. But most scholars would uh, concur that because other Gospels do point out that uh, this was something that Jesus said from the cross, uh, this was appropriate at least to be included here. And in verse 35, we read that the people stood there watching. But then we see that these people, while uh, this is the larger crowd that, are, that is standing there and watching, we have three groups of people who are mocking Jesus, who are ridiculing Jesus. And as we read in Psalms uh, 20 to 8, we read like this, He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. So this was, in a sense, a fulfillment of the prophetic text as well. So we see a lot of uh, Psalm 22 uh, being uh, fulfilled in this passage. So we see that the rulers, uh, they mocked Jesus, and what did they say in verse uh, 35? He saved others, let him save himself. Uh, the soldiers in verses 36 through 37, uh, they say the same thing. If you are indeed the king of the Jews, save yourself. Apparently, if you are a king, uh, you are powerful. So you can rescue yourself or you can save yourself. Else, uh, you have uh, a good army behind you because you are the king. So the army might intervene and rescue you uh, from death. And one of the criminals... Uh, who was crucified with Jesus, also hurls insults at Jesus and says this, uh, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Hey, do us a favor as well. Uh, do yourself a favor, save yourself, come down from the cross, and in the process, uh, save us as well. Uh, although uh, Luke does not tell us that the crowd Called insert, uh, insults at Jesus. Uh, Matthew tells us in uh, verses Matthew chapter twenty-seven, uh, verses uh, thirty-nine. Following Matthew tells us that even the crowd joined this mockery, but Luke does not tell us. So let's uh, stay with uh, stay with Luke's narrative. Uh, these people they are wanting Jesus to save himself. Their idea of salvation was something different. They thought that being saved was to be rescued from physical death, at least at this point in time. And that is what they are asking Jesus to do. Save yourself from the cross. Uh, their idea of salvation was quite different. Their idea of what it means to be saved was quite different. Later in verse uh, 46, uh, we would see that despite these insults that these people have hurled at Jesus, he would continue to trust in the Father when he says that, uh, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Uh, nothing that was said, nothing, uh, no mockery, no words of insults could really deter Jesus from his trust in the Father. So uh, we see that these people, they had a different idea of what it means uh, to be saved, right? Uh, 
their idea was that uh, Jesus uh, would be saved from death. But Jesus trusted the Father to rescue him not from death, but through death. Not from death, but through death. Sometimes we are like these religious leaders, the soldiers and one of the criminals, right? Our prayers uh, and trust in God are often directed to uh, immediate physical deliverance. God's plan may not be for us to be delivered uh, from certain situations, but keep us in it and rescue us through it. Uh, walk us through those situations. Sometimes we think that God's plan should always include uh, my anticipated outcome. Whatever I anticipate to be the outcome, whatever I expect uh, the answer to my prayer be, I want that to be uh, the answer from God. But sometimes God's way of deliverance is different. God's way of answering our prayer is different. Right? These people are asking Jesus, or rather uh, sarcastically asking him to save himself. They, of course, know that there is no way physically possible for him to uh, take himself down from the cross. Right? His hands are pierced. He's stuck on the cross. So you know that this is uh, more of a real mockery than anything else. And yet, the words themselves uh, carry weight. The words are that if you are indeed who you claim to be, save yourself. While Jesus was, was on this earth, he did uh, you know, bring people back from death. He did heal people. So for them, salvation or to be saved meant physical deliverance uh, in most of those cases. So that is perhaps the background from which these people are uh, Mocking Jesus. They are saying that if you are indeed the Savior, if you could help others, why can't you help yourself? Right? If you have enough money to bankroll someone's need, why can't you take care of your own? Your own right? You, you should have enough in the reserve. That's kind of the idea. That They are almost asking Jesus, like, have you run off all of your powers? Like on the cross, you seem to be just like the other two criminals. Like, there is absolutely no difference between you because you are completely helpless at this point in time. Their view of the way in which God works was quite different. They expected God to work uh, in a certain way. They wanted to put God into a certain mold, into a certain box. And we often think that way as well, right? God has to answer us a certain way. If not, immediately we will say that, well, he doesn't love me. He doesn't care for me. Right? At least uh, that uh, is our uh, default post, at least mine sometimes. I remember the prayer of D.A. Carson, an, an eminent New Testament scholar, at the launch of uh, the Gospel Coalition India chapter. Uh, he was the keynote speaker. And towards the end of his uh, speech, uh, he had asked, uh, it was a Zoom meeting, so he had asked if uh, he could pray for something specific. Uh, as this uh, Gospel Coalition of India chapter was launched. So one of the participants said, you know, pray for the churches in India uh, because we are being persecuted. Uh, churches in various parts of India are being persecuted. And he prayed like this, 
really struck me his prayer. And since that day, my prayer has changed. And this is how he prayed. I'm kind of uh, recollecting from my memory. I'm paraphrasing it rather. Lord, I pray for the Christians in India under persecution. I pray not that the persecution be gone. But despite the persecution, the churches will experience Christ and continue to remain faithful to their calling. What a prayer. What a prayer. Right? Oftentimes, uh, when uh, persecution, when something bad happens, usually our, and our prayer is this, pray for me that I may be delivered from this. Right? How seldom do we ask others to pray for us that God may give me the grace to endure it? That is not part of our vocabulary, right? Because somehow we think that is not part of God's program. But throughout the history of Israel, and, and in the, especially in the life of Jesus, uh, God seems to work that way. Sometimes God does not rescue the people from their situation, but instead allows them to go through that so that, so that at the end, God would be glorified and God's plan uh, would be fulfilled what a prayer. And I have learned something uh, of, of a new vocabulary, a new way of praying for situations since uh, I heard uh, dear Carson pray about it. Right? The people, when they uh, hurl insult at Jesus, uh, they uh, think nothing more uh, than uh, physical salvation. Many of those who saw Christ that day, um, on the cross, along with those who mocked him, did not understand the fact that God's plan of salvation did include the death of the Son of God. Did include the death of the Son of God. God's plan of salvation did include God, who eternally existed and enjoyed the Father's persons, who became incarnate, who died on the cross that day, for you and for me. So it wasn't just anyone else but the very Son of God. It was indeed the death of the Son of God that we see on the, on the cross. It's a remarkable event, as I think uh, Joby or someone read, right? Uh, Romans 8.32, we read like this. He who did not spare his son, but gave him for us, will he not also with him give everything else? It is the father giving up his own very son on the cross. It's a cosmic event. And it is an event in which heaven is actively involved. Father is actively involved, but the Son is dying on the cross. Those who saw Jesus did not see something spectacular in this person, right? He was just like the other two criminals because there was nothing, uh, you know, outstanding about Jesus. Uh, Jesus is just like one of the other two. Now there are three criminals, that's it, as far as these people are concerned, that is why in uh, verse 36, we read that the soldiers continued to mock him, right? And part of their mockery was to give Jesus the sour wine. The sour wine. And, and sometimes 
uh, when the historians they would say that uh, this uh, wine that is called uh, Posca, maybe that is the brand some of you would look for, but this was the one that uh, uh, the uh, lower end of the totem pole uh, of, of the soldiers that they carried. Because uh, if you are like in India, what, Shipai, probably the, the entry rank, I'm not sure what in the military that is called, but, you know, whatever they get, their ration, uh, the canteen that they carry, you know, the ration would not necessarily have the best that uh, the emperor is served. It's usually diluted and usually the cheap kind, right? Get Buy one, get one free kind of deal. So that is the one that they're offering to Jesus. So again, identifying and showing, Luke is showing us something very remarkable that this Jesus, the very son of God, is now so humble, so humiliated on the cross that he gets what only the poor can afford. The poor can only afford this, or rather the, the poor can only afford this. And that is what uh, the imagery, at least that's what uh, is uh, Luke trying to show us uh, by giving us this historical uh, incident in which the soldiers gave Jesus uh, the uh, cheap wine. So we see that uh, the criminal on the cross, the, both the criminals, they were going through something uh, very excruciating as Jesus was. But Jesus is the one uh, doing uh, the least talking. Although people are uh, hurling insults at Jesus, Jesus is not necessarily responding to any of those. His one prayer is that, Lord, forgive them. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. But we, what we see, something remarkable uh, in verses uh, 30, uh, 40 following is this. It is the confession of the other criminal. We do not know whether this criminal was on the left or on the right, although tradition has had that, you know, the uh, criminal on the left was the one hurling insult and the right was the good guy because right is good, left is bad. We do not know, but it doesn't matter, right? One of the criminals is actually having a moment of salvation. When he is observing what was going through, he is... Uh, the, the confessing criminal that we see here. So he says in verses uh, 40 following, but the other rebuked him because one of the criminals is hurling in subtle Jesus saying that, save yourself, and by the way, please don't go yourself, take us with you, right? Let's all go down from the, the cross, grand uh, escape, right? Uh, that would be uh, like the Ocean's 11, Ocean's 12 movies kind of escape or whatever that is that these people are saying, when you go, take us with you. But the other criminal, he says this, rebuking this other guy, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Uh, that is his conclusion. While others think that he was justly crucified, the conclusion of one of these criminals is that Jesus was innocent. And then he turns to Jesus. So he is uh, maybe looking to his left, I don't know, uh, to the other criminal. And then now he is looking to Jesus and he says this. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. His response to Jesus and Jesus' reply suggests that this criminal is acknowledging his culpability because he says that we are receiving 
the due penalty, the due punishment. So the, the criminal is kind of confessing uh, before Jesus and acknowledging that you know, he was indeed guilty of whatever that was, treason or whatever other capital punishment that he deserved because of the crime, the nature of the crime. He is repentant uh, on the cross and he's now acknowledging, perhaps he had heard uh, what Jesus had preached. He might very well be a Jewish criminal because Romans could not have been crucified. So these two would be uh, Jewish in, uh, in origin. So if that's the case, you would have probably known what it means for God to bring about his kingdom and the coming of the Messianic kingdom. And he acknowledged just who Jesus was. And he says that, uh, you know, when you come in your kingdom, because he's, he was indeed sure that whatever happening on the cross was not the end of the story as far as Jesus was concerned. For majority, this was the end. Uh, this chapter is going to come to an end. The, the story is going to come to an end. A tragic end, right? Here the, uh, the hero doesn't get the girl, right? There is no uh, Prince Charming coming situation in the story. There is no grand finale to the story. As far as the story was concerned, for these groups that were the large crowd, the, the rulers, the soldiers, uh, and one of the criminals, the story of Jesus is going to have a tragic end. That's it. Nothing more. But one of the criminals knew who Jesus was. He perceived, perhaps at the last moment, the person of Christ. And he did not hold back himself. He instead says that when you come back in your kingdom, he knew that Jesus claimed to be bringing about his kingdom. He came to establish his kingdom and he will indeed bring that about. He will bring about the kingdom and he says that when you will come back in your kingdom, I'm for sure you will remember me. Please keep a place for me in your kingdom. That's kind of his prayer. He wasn't looking at what was going around. Instead, he believed in the person and the message of Christ. He knew that here was an innocent suffering unjustly. Because he says, we are suffering for right reasons, right? Due punishment. But this man doesn't deserve what he's undergoing. Because he has perhaps heard about the person of Christ and what he had done. So whatever was happening on the cross wasn't uh, uh, the right thing as far as this criminal was concerned. It teaches us something very, very important. The response of uh, this criminal. You can be different even when the rest of the world is going in the opposite direction. The criminal too had every reason to sneer at Jesus because uh, he heard the Jewish religious leaders mock Jesus, the Roman soldiers mock him, and even his fellow criminal do the same. He did not feel the need to fit in. This will also be true of Joseph of Arimathea. A little later in verses 50 through 53, uh, we read like this. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. So here was one in the council, the Jewish council, Sanhedrin, who did not consent to the majority's opinion. The majority, all of them but one, said, crucify him. He is guilty. 
we have you know contacted the religious uh, court uh, and he is guilty as far as jewish religion was concerned and of course they were more concerned about their own survival because jesus was definitely uh, gathering a huge uh, followers right he was attracting uh, a huge followers and that was definitely a threat to the jewish leaders but here is someone within the jewish uh, echelons of power in that echelons of power he he feels that he doesn't have to fit in instead what does he do he did not consent this one no vote in the jewish council that was from joseph of arimathea so what we learn from both of these stories is this that to follow christ we may have to be countercultural it was easy and perhaps the only thing uh, for the criminal to do is to join the rest of them what more right i'm going to breathe my last like timothy uh, mcway the oklahoma city bomber did right uh, you know he just said hey no confessions nothing i'm the captain of my soul the master of my life right he could have gone out that way right with a flash but instead he recognizes the person of christ and sometimes that is true of uh, the majority uh, that we see around like the gospel has been uh, preached for over 2 uh, millennia right many have heard the gospel only a handful have received the message of salvation and sometimes it's not easy for some to trust in the lord jesus christ and and continue in their faith sometimes there is persecution within the family from the community all kinds of issues in following christ but they take that bold step of faith because they know that the person that they trust is no mere human he is the very god himself who died to rescue them from their sins and that is what uh, joseph of arimathea recognizes and the scripture calls him as a righteous man very seldom uh, does scripture call people righteous and when it does it means something right and he was a righteous man and a criminal is now made righteous on the cross he stands guilty before the roman law before the world this criminal stands guilty but on the cross jesus would declare him righteous because what was jesus response to him his request remember me when you come in your kingdom what did jesus say today you will be with me in paradise today sometimes asking forgiveness is is hard sometimes repentance is hard right it's hard for me sometimes uh, sometimes it's hard for me to say sorry to my wife or children or to my colleagues uh, or to my students people who look up to you right you you think that you have to have it together at least pretend to have it together right uh, otherwise what would they think of you 
but for the criminal on the cross, it did not really matter what the other criminal or rest of the Roman law thought about him. He is perhaps is going to commit another offense as far as they were concerned because he is confessing Jesus as indeed the king. Right? That was the accusation, the allegation against Jesus that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. And what does the criminal say? He says exactly the same thing. You will have a kingdom because you are a king, right? When you come back in your kingdom, Lord Jesus, please remember me. Whatever was put out there as an accusation, an allegation against Jesus, his crime, the criminal had no, no qualms in accepting that Jesus is going to come back as a king indeed. In fact, if they put it out as a mockery, a sham a trial, uh, the uh, criminal says, I believe it. He is indeed who he claimed to be. Uh, so the third thing we see here is that at the death of Jesus, a bunch of things are going to happen uh, as far as uh, the cosmic science were concerned, as far as uh, the heaven and earth were concerned. Things are going to happen, right? We see supernatural signs in verses 44 through 46, this is what we read. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light faded, uh, you know, the, the veil of the temple was going to be torn into two. Then Jesus, in verse 46, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus is committing his spirit into the hands of the Father. And there is darkness. And in uh, some Gospels we read there was thunder. Uh, there were a lot of supernatural signs, cosmic signs associated with the death of the Son of God. In spite of mockery, rejection, and darkness, Jesus' trust in the Father, Father's promise was undeterred. That is what he's doing, right? Jesus could have become just like one of us. I trusted God for all of this, and this is what happened to me, right? But instead, he continues to have the trust in the Father. He commits his spirit into the hands of the Father, who will raise him up again. His salvation is just days away. Those mocking him did not know that. They did not anticipate God's salvation coming to Jesus. Literal, physical salvation coming back to life. Something that the, uh, the mockers, those who hurled insult at Jesus, did not anticipate. It wasn't from stopping from, uh, so God's program wasn't, or Father's program wasn't, from stopping Jesus from dying on the cross. But through resurrection, the Father will rescue him from death. Sometimes that is how God works. Death does not have the ultimate say. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul would reiterate this fact that Jesus has, has been resurrected, has come back to life according to scriptures. He died according to scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 3 to 6. He was buried according to scriptures. 
and he came back to life according to scriptures because Jesus knew the father and he could trust him there were a lot of cosmic signs and who all were uh, audience to this all of these people and there were by the way a lot of people historically speaking there were tons of people in Jerusalem uh, in those days because this was the passover feast right so they were there to celebrate the passover so so the large crowd probably came from various uh, jewish towns different parts parts of uh, Uh, Palestine. That is why we will read about the followers of Jesus a little later that the women who followed him from Galilee, right? So there were people from all over uh, the, the then Palestine this day in Jerusalem. And because uh, the place where Jesus was buried was very public, uh, very visible, and that is something again the Romans did because they wanted to make an example out of the punishment that they meted out so that you know this would deter others from Uh, undertaking similar offenses this was a public display there were a lot of people all of them saw the religious leaders saw what was happening the soldiers saw what was happening and then there was a centurion right in verses 47 following we see uh, uh, the testimony of a corroborating centurion he is going to corroborate the innocence of Jesus right this is what we read now when the centurion saw what had taken place he praised god saying certainly this man was innocent and all the crowds that had assembled there uh, for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place returned home beating their chests that's it that is what they had done their response was oh too bad well you know maybe they are sad seeing someone die Uh, or unwittingly participated in in uh, crying out crucify him uh, right herd mentality or mob culture right maybe they were there you know they so they just like many of us like on indian streets right when there is an accident uh, in no time there'll be a lot of people right at a certain place but as soon as there is a, a, a minor skirmish or a small accident or big there'll be a lot of crowd and i know in some parts of north india everyone gives a pitch in their share right uh, as they pass by no for uh, no apparent reason they will also beat the guy and afterwards you ask them why did he beat him i don't know i saw others do so i just did right kind of situation so mob mentality they would have probably some of you know what i'm talking about i nearly uh, got into something very similar several years ago in delhi but well, that's a different story I'll spare you the details. But right here, the crowd is perhaps uh, unwittingly, they, they had participated in, uh, in crying out, crucify him, crucify him. We don't know the reason why now the crowd is going home sad, like they're beating their chest. That's kind of a sign of mourning, right? A sign of sadness, a sign of guilt maybe. We don't know. Maybe that is exaggeration. I don't know. But look at the response of the centurion. these groups of people all these people witnessed exactly the same events but look at the response of the centurion his response is quite different from that of the others uh, this is also true of many who hear about jesus read the scriptures today and celebrate the lord's table week after week some look at him but do not really understand the person of christ how about us 
Are we convinced that Jesus is indeed the very Son of God who came down to die for our sins? Or are we agnostic about the person of Christ? No more signs left for God to prove the person of Christ. No more Son of God coming down to die. There is no more provision for salvation. This is it. What is our response? If any of you here haven't really considered the person of Christ, I invite you to consider the person of Christ. The centurion, the Roman centurion, he confesses that he was indeed the very Son of God. So we see a Jewish criminal confessing Jesus as indeed the Messiah. We see a Roman centurion confessing Jesus as the very Son of God. That was exactly what the mockers were pretending that Jesus was, all right? Uh, in Greek, I'll spare you the details, but this is in first class condition. Uh, the, the, all those insults are put in first class condition in the Greek language, which means this, for the sake of argument, let's assume that this is true. That's how first class conditions work, right? For the sake of argument, let's assume that this is true. So they're saying that, let's assume that you are indeed the Messiah come down from the cross. Let's assume that you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. So when they assume as something perhaps not true, here is a centurion corroborating that he was indeed the very son of God. We can look at the very person of Christ. We can read the scriptures, the same scriptures, right? Week after week, we can, we can look at the elements that are kept here. We can go through the motion and still have no relationship with the person of Christ. And then we see, uh, fifthly, the faithful followers. Uh, we Luke mentions uh, that, you know, there were many who knew Jesus, followed him. Women, perhaps the, the, that group included the disciples of Christ. He doesn't mention who this is exactly, but they are standing in verse 49, right? Uh, they uh, stood at a distance. They're watching, they're observing what is happening. I wonder if they themselves had some of these questions, right? How would we know? Perhaps they had some of these questions themselves. A little later, right? After Jesus' instruction, there were disciples on the Emmaus road. What was their discussion? Perhaps I'm just paraphrasing, man, I didn't see that coming. Man, all of this for nothing, right? Only for uh, the next movie to come out or something, right? Or, or something that was not really expected. And then they are asking Jesus, right? Jesus was coming along and asked, you know, chiming into the conversation or, or listening into the conversation and asked, asking them, hey, what are you guys discussing? He said, come on, man, are you the only one in this place who has not heard about uh, what had happened here? We are talking about the death of this great rabbi, someone we thought was bringing the kingdom. Perhaps. But they're all 
at a distance. They're still there. They haven't deserted Jesus yet, right? They're there. The women are there as well. We read in uh, uh, 55 following, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Now Joseph Arimathea goes to uh, uh, the ruler, gets his body down and buries him in his own tomb. Uh, and then, not the disciples. Notice what Luke is telling here in the story. The disciples are not following. Here the women are actually doing a remarkable thing. Right? They made sure that they spotted where Jesus' body was kept. Not just so that they will know, well, we know where the tomb was. Uh, no. Because they are doing something more, right? They then returned home to prepare spices. Embalming was not something that was done in those days. Embalming wasn't. So these spices would basically to, uh, you know, reduce the stench from decaying corpse. But the women are not going to desert Jesus that easily. Uh, their actions might have, you know, looked very silly, right? The disciples are not doing this, by the way. And maybe uh, Luke is uh, mentioning something or saying something by not saying something here in the story. But what is very obvious is this. Uh, the disciples are watching just like the women are. They're all standing at a distance. But the women go a step further. Uh, usually it is said that churches are uh, full of women and, and few men. And in, in, in usual uh, spiritual stuff, women are usually ahead. I'm not saying therefore all these women get a pass. I don't know. But there's a saying out there, right? But as far as these women were concerned, they were fully in love with the person of Christ. <clears throat> they would do anything for the person of Christ. It sounded unnecessary. But because of that, they were the first ones to witness the resurrection of Christ. They had this awesome privilege of seeing the risen Christ. They were the ones who will run to report that of the disciples, right? The disciples had to hear it from the women. They did something very mundane, it looked like, right? It's not great stuff. Sometimes, right, doing things in the name of Christ might look like that, right? Some of us don't do things that are so visible, so easily appreciated, right? We read in Hebrews 13:2 like this, Do not neglect to show hospitality strangers, for thereby somehow entertained angels. Unawares. Folks, when we have opportunity, Scripture says, do good to all, especially to those in the household of God. Right? Galatians 6.10. A group of women, perhaps the last act they could perform for Jesus. 
the last act what else right they too don't know too much but god is going to honor the simple thing they have done they will get to see the resurrected christ first right mary magdalene in another gospel we will see that she would see the resurrected christ before the disciples go to see him sometimes what we do in the name of christ might not uh, look great or might not be very spectacular but whatever god has called you to do please do it cheerfully let's serve christ not for accolades not for visibility uh, i think some of us like to do this visible act right i mean there has there is a place for that as well i'm not saying don't do it certain things obviously have to be visible and very public but we can serve christ in ways people may not notice right people may not appreciate that may be a prayer that you pray for someone else without them even knowing that may be a helping hand you you stretch out because i know a group of uh, friends of mine who love to support people anonymously and they channel funds through someone making sure that they never disclose the recipients and for various reasons they say you know they don't want others to uh, be you know uh looking up to us next time when they have a need the codependency syndrome we don't want to create that also uh no obligation on their part right they can simply praise god right out of nowhere i needed something god provided so god is glorified even more so uh, but others are some you know they want to make sure that not only that the the receiver knew what was given but those around also knew what was given right like auction right they want to make sure that the number is heard out loud but here is a group of women who serve christ who are we like are we like the confessing criminal uh, the non consenting joseph of arimathea the corroborating centurion or are we like the mockers what does mockery look like today for you and me what does mockery look like disobedience to christ would be one of those right jean read the read us that passage today first uh, john 4 10 the next verse says that if god has shown his love towards us the only way we will know that we indeed belong to him is by loving others if you say you love god and do not love your brother whom you see what does john say it's just a show off you are just a liar right so there are ways we can mock jesus today when we say that you know i have received forgiveness but unwilling to forgive others I have received grace but not willing to extend that grace to others right i mean grace does not always mean that uh, we say oh, it's okay brother no sometimes punishment is grace right discipline is grace right it is grace it is love discipline is love hebrews 
6 following, right? Which father is there who loves his son and does not discipline him? So in same way, God also disciplines us. So, so grace does not, of course, mean that always, you know, turning a blind eye. No. How do we mock Jesus? I think we should ask this question ourselves. I'm not sure uh, if we are uh, in that group. I'm not saying we are. But are there ways in which uh, we see that we might be doing it? Then it's time for us to confess that before him. Who are we like? Despite reading scripture, despite seeing all the signs, are we like the religious leaders? Are we like the soldiers or the criminal or the large crowd who just left the place, you know, beating their chest, mourning, but their mourning did not produce any repentance? Who is Jesus to you? Do you believe in the Son of God and the provision of salvation? He prepared for you through his life, death, and resurrection. Or are we like this group of spectators? We acknowledge who he is, but nothing more. Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cause of Discipleship, uh, tells the story of why he wanted to go back to, uh, go back to Germany. His friends in the United States and in Britain disgraced him from going back to Germany. He was lecturing in, in the U.S., then en route to Germany, he uh, stopped in, uh, uh, in Britain. His friend said, Bonhoeffer, you are a budding scholar, not just budding. By the age of 24, he had two doctorate. Guys, he's, he's some, someone, right? But he said something very profound. He said, because many of these people said, once the war is over, if there is that time, you should be part of the rebuilding of Christianity in Germany. He said, if I do not suffer with the German people today, I will have no part in the rebuilding of the churches of Germany. If I don't suffer with these people, I have absolutely no part in rebuilding the churches. Following Christ means there is cost. It is costly, and discipleship is costly. Are we like majority of Christians, or are we like those true followers? And by the way, we find these people everywhere, in the church, outside the church, within the Christendom. There are those who say that they know Christ and yet do not have any relationship with him. And then there are those who have intimate relationship with him. Who is Jesus to you? Don't miss the opportunity while it is still available. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and thank you for the word. Reminding us once again that the person who died on the cross was indeed the very son of God. He came down to die for our sins. While for people, salvation meant physical deliverance without death. 
Lord, your program and your plan did include salvation through death. We thank you that death did not have the last say, the last hooray. But instead, Jesus came back to life. He trusted the Father who was able to rescue him from death. And it wasn't without death, but through death he was rescued from death. Lord, that is our promise as well. That if we were to die today, we know that this is not the end. Those who have died in Christ will indeed be raised back to life, just as Christ was raised back to life. Lord, there were many that day who witnessed the death of Christ, but few acknowledged in, in fact who he was. Sometimes we wonder whether we are in the group of mockers or those faithful followers. Lord, the women who followed Christ did something very insignificant as far as the story was concerned. But Lord, you honored their work and you revealed yourself to them first. Pray that, Lord, we will not shy away in doing what is good and what is right. When there is opportunity, Lord, help us to do good to all, especially those in the household of God. Pray that we will have a close walk with you, that we will continue to suffer whatever that word suffering means for each one of us, for the name, for the sake of Christ, for the name of Christ. May you be glorified, for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.